welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be here in the book of Philippians here this morning. And uh, I did want to uh, wish Jean a very happy birthday today. And it's kind of interesting, Jean, does your birthday always fall on Mother's Day? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just sometimes. <laughs> well, very good. Well, happy birthday, Jean. And uh, uh, to all the ladies here uh, this morning, um, we have a special gift for you uh, after you leave. And this is not just for mothers. This is for all the ladies here. Um, so uh, make sure you get that uh, as you leave. I'm probably going to have uh, Andrea, maybe if you can help with that. So um, she'll have something there for you. But uh, just wanted to uh, appreciate you and thank you for everything that you do. Uh, so we're going to be here in the book of Philippians. And if you're just joining with us, we've been... Uh, going through, journeying through uh, Philippians here. And as we've been looking at this last chapter here, Paul is starting to sum everything up. And uh, he begins this chapter with this command about standing firm in the Lord. And we covered a few of those things uh, last uh, couple weeks about uh, what that had to deal with, about all the previous things that uh, Paul talked about, standing firm in the Lord. And uh, when we looked at uh, some of those things, standing firm, it's not only looking back to the previous things, but also there's a connection to this last uh, few things that Paul is going to be talking about, about standing firm in. And last week we looked at the importance of getting along with others for the sake of the gospel and how uh, believers should be getting along. We shouldn't be going around complaining or slandering one another, but that we are to work together for the sake of the gospel uh, because all of us are in this together. And uh, we're going to see as we're going to go through this uh, remaining of this chapter, not necessarily today, but uh, as we progress through it, we're going to see three other things in the coming weeks that Paul is going to stress in the closing of this uh, chapter. And it's all going to stem out of this command that we're going to find here in verse number four about rejoicing in the Lord. And, you know, one of the major themes throughout this book uh, in Philippians is the theme of joy or rejoicing. And I've said that we are to rejoice in spite of our circumstances because we don't find joy uh, in our circumstances, we are to find joy in Christ. And um, I believe that uh, Paul lived this out very well um, because the Christian life is to be one of joy. It's supposed to be a joy that transcends all of our circumstances in life. And uh, I think the Apostle Paul could be one that we could really look to as he talked about a lot of the circumstances that were in his life, but yet he saw these as opportunities uh, for joy. For, joy. Uh, for example, like Paul was under house arrest, as we know about that, that uh, he was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, but it was an opportunity for him to find great joy in all of that. Paul's mindset on choosing to rejoice even in the midst of his circumstances even allowed him to not only be content, but also to be joyful, uh, even when those circumstances were very tough. And this is what scripture calls us to do as well. We need to choose to rejoice. 
It's a choice. You have to choose to rejoice. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you uh, for today. Choose to rejoice in all circumstances. Choose to rejoice in all circumstances. So let's take notice here about our text here. Philippians uh, 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So what gives joy? It's important to note that here what Paul is saying is not a suggestion. He's not saying rejoice only if the circumstances are favorable. He's not saying rejoice only when things are going well. He's not saying rejoice only when things fall the way that you want them to fall. He's saying rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always again. And I will say rejoice. The way that Paul wrote this is what is called the prevalent imperative case. Meaning it's a command to do something not only now, but it's also a command to continue to do it. So we are to be rejoicing now, but it's a thing that we should be continually be rejoicing. You see, Christians are to be continually and habitually rejoicing in the Lord always. Paul doesn't just say it once, but notice he repeats himself twice. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. You see, the repetition of the phrase gives strength to what he is saying, but it is also emphasizing the command to rejoice. And see, the Christian is to be joyfully in the Lord in all circumstances. So how are we to do this? How are we to find joy in all circumstances? What is it that gives us joy? What is it that gives us the ability to rejoice in all circumstances? Well, we need to clarify what we mean by joy or rejoicing. You see, we often use happiness and joy as synonyms. We like to say, well, I have happiness, therefore I have joy. But there's a distinction which is brought out here, what Paul is trying to emphasize here. You see, happiness is an emotional response to pleasant circumstances. When things are going well, there's happiness. When the kids aren't fighting, there's happiness. Um, growing up, I had an older brother and a younger sister. We fought all the time. And my dad said, without a doubt, he says, it was very, very hard to actually have all three of you happy at the same time. He says, because two would be happy and one would be mad, or one would be happy and two would be mad. He says, but to have all three of you happy, it was very, very rare. And so sometimes we think when things are going well, then that means that I have happiness or joy. When things are going badly, there's unhappiness. But see, joy is different. The word joy is a verb, and it means to be cheerful, happy, or well off. It does carry an emotional meaning, but the emotion is not dependent upon circumstances. This is how Paul used the word. You see, our circumstances do not dictate our joy. For example, Hebrews chapter 12, 2, speaking of Jesus, it tells us, for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Were those wonderful circumstances to be in when Jesus was enduring the cross? No. But he counted it as joy. 
there was a choice for him to say, I'm going to rejoice in this, even though the circumstances were not favorable. It says that he despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, joy is a response that is dependent upon our mindsets. Joy is present or absent because of what you believe. And the Christian's belief is to transcend our present circumstances. You see, joy is also more than an emotional response. For while there is certainly an emotional feeling that accompanies it, it is produced by a belief which results in corresponding actions. Paul's own reaction to the circumstances he was in while he was writing to the Philippians is a very good case in point. Paul is not happy about being imprisoned. There are many situations he would rather have been in than being chained to a soldier, I'm sure. Paul is not happy about people purposely trying to cause him distress. However, Paul is still joyful in the midst of the unhappy circumstances. Because he, why? Because Paul's beliefs transcended the circumstances to understand what God was doing in the midst of his trial. And that that allowed him to react with a joyful attitude and joyful actions despite the unpleasant situation. He praised God that the gospel had become known among the Praetorian Guard, and he was thankful that Christ was proclaimed, even if not all those doing it had the right motives. I mean, remember what he was talking about, that these people, some preach Christ for this, some preach Christ for that. He says, some of them trying to add to my chains, but he says, I'm still rejoicing because Christ is being proclaimed. Christ is being preached. You see, his belief that God was working resulted in the joyful expression of praise and thanksgiving. You see, the foundation for Christian joy is our belief about what we know about who God is and what he is doing. Our joy should never be determined about our circumstances in life, whether good or bad. It should come and stem directly from who God is and what God has said authoritatively in his word. That's what we rest in. That's where we find our joy. That's where we find our strength. Let's examine this verse within its context, and we're going to cover these in more detail in the coming weeks, but I want you to see what God's word says about where we can find joy. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. But look what he continues on to say here in the other verses. Verse number five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So where can we find joy? What gives joy? Well, according here, there is joy in being able to bring our requests to God. I find it very interesting and I do this in my life as well, that when we're struggling with things, when we're going through difficult times, what is the last thing that we usually do? Pray about it. Sometimes we get on the phone and we talk to others about the situation and everything that's going on. We worry about it. We have anxiety about it. We go and go and go and go and go on and on and on and on and on. And then finally, oh, well, hey, guess what? I guess I'll pray about it. Well, Paul says here 
then we are to be bringing our request to God. You see, we find joy in having our Lord near to us so that we can bring the things that are on our heart before him and leave them there knowing that he will take care of them. That is why there is peace. We must understand that the world has a peace, but not as the Lord gives. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. You know the world has a fake peace that it gives? It's always a, uh, a counterfeit of exactly what the Lord actually has. All of us are consumers in here. You know that, right? I mean, just go look at your house and look what you have inside your house. You are a consumer. You buy and buy and buy and buy and buy, and you're always consuming things. Always consuming, always consuming. Why? Because we're told if you have this, if you have that, if you have this, if you have this, if you have that, it's going to give you what? Joy. It's going to give you peace. It's going to give you happiness. But after you consume it... What happens? Up, oh, set the garage sale. Right? Then you're out again, consuming more, consuming more. And see, the Lord says, I give you peace, not as the world gives. And so there's a closeness, there's a nearness that when we know that we can come to God and we can let our requests be made known unto Him, that should give us great joy. And so our God is intimately involved with us and has proven both his love and his direct intervention in our lives when Jesus Christ died for our sins in our place on the cross. He's a, there's a connection there. And think about this. If he gave everything, didn't even spare his own son, how much is the Lord not going to withhold from us? And so there's a connection there of being near to God, that we can make our requests known unto him. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16, comments about our access to God, telling us that through Jesus Christ, we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in the time of need. First John chapter five, verses 14 through 15, tells us about our confidence that our God hears a response saying what? And this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Jesus actually invites us in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9, to come to God and address him with a term of personal endearment, intimacy, and love by saying what? Our Father. And so this confidence in God, we pray to be coupled with his sovereignty, allows us to rest in him and experience a peace that is beyond understanding. A peace that is present in the midst of turmoil and danger. And this peace is a source of our joy in the Lord. And so there's great joy that we can have when we come to the Lord and we pour out our heart before him. We tell him our problems. We tell him our difficulties. We tell him the things that we're struggling with. And that should give us joy because there's a nearness there. Secondly, we find joy in what we think about. Look, Paul continues to go on here in verse number eight. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Notice that Paul is telling them to do this because it would be following the example of how he lived his own life. Practice these things. The things that you learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, Paul says. And so this is one of the ways that enabled Paul to experience God's presence in his own life. As we set our mind to think on these things, we regain the proper perspective that is reflective of God himself. Since thinking and belief go hand in hand, then thinking on the right things changes our beliefs and becomes another source of joy. Did you know that what you think about affects how you live your life? And if you're constantly thinking about negative things, difficult things, hard things, things that make you sad, how's that going to affect your life? It's not going to give you joy. And so there's a direct correlation there of what we're thinking about and how that affects our joy. And so we have to have the right mindset of what we're thinking about. Thirdly, we find joy in being content in all circumstances. Look what Paul continues to go on to say. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In and in and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So we find joy in being content in all circumstances. We'll discuss this principle that Paul gives here in greater detail in, in the coming weeks. But for now, just note that this was something that Paul learned. It did not come automatically. It took time for him to understand and put into practice the principle that allowed him to be content regardless of the current circumstance. You see, he wants us to learn the same thing that we also might live with such contentment as he did. And contentment is a necessary component of joy. You see, contentment is founded in a belief that God does supply all that we need, as what Paul mentions in verse 19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, this is all you need, not all that you want. This contentment rests on the fact that God is wiser than we are. So if something comes into my life that I don't like, he has a purpose for it. All of us have difficulties. All of us have hardships. All of us have disappointments in our lives. But how are we viewing those disappointments? How are we viewing those difficulties is what matters. Could it be that God has purposely planned something to come into your life so that you might lean on him more and trust him more and come to know him more in a greater sense, which will give you great joy? 
See, that's what God is doing in our lives. He's fashioning us. He's molding us. He's making us. Not because this is what we want. It's because what he wants. Paul writes in Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, concerning about purposes that come into our life. He says, but we also rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, this love was demonstrated to us is what Paul continues on saying in Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. You see, all throughout scripture, we find that there are many things that the believer is to be rejoicing in. What we should be focusing on. Here's just another few examples. In Acts chapter 13, 48, we can rejoice because we have heard the gospel and have been saved from sin. Luke chapter 10, 20, we are to rejoice because our names are written in heaven. 1 Corinthians 16, 17, we rejoice in our relationships with other believers with the mutual care and love we have for each other. Romans 16, 19, we can rejoice in the encouragement that comes when other Christians walk in obedience to God, which glorifies him. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, we can rejoice when a Christian who is in sin has godly sorrow and repents. Acts chapter 5, verse 41, 1 Peter 4, 13, the Christian even finds joy in suffering with Christ for the cause of the gospel because we are counted worthy of him. For as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 12, and 13, that this is the way that the prophets before us were treated and our reward in heaven will be great. James chapter one, verses two through four is a great reminder that we are to rejoice in the normal trials and tribulations of life because through them, God is maturing us and making us more like Jesus. You see, the point is believers have tremendous reasons to rejoice and so we need to be thinking biblically about life. Christian joy is solidly based in the truth of God's word and obedience to it. And so it's a choice. We have to choose to rejoice in all circumstances, whatever the case may be, favorable or unfavorable, hard or easy. We have to choose to rejoice. Here's the second thing. How do we choose to rejoice? <clears throat> the only way in which Paul's command to rejoice in the Lord can be fulfilled is to have and maintain a right relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, there's no connection there to the Lord who is the source of all joy. And so you have to know Christ as your savior, first and foremost. There has to be a time in your life where you turn from sin and you put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And so if you are a believer in Christ, you have repented of sin and believed in Christ, then now you need to be maintaining that relationship with the Lord. Nobody lives their Christian life by themselves. Nobody. Oh, you can try but you're going to fail miserably. We need to be maintaining the relationship. Why should we do that? Well, because feelings change. Circumstances change. Life throws us curveballs and fastballs. But when we are maintaining our relationship with Jesus, we live our life through him, 
Isn't that what Paul says? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless not I that lives, but what? Christ lives in me. You see, we live our life through Christ. Christ, who he is and what he has done, what he is doing. It's based on eternal truth that never does change. You see, Jesus Christ says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if I'm living my life based upon the circumstances which change, what's going to happen? It's shaky ground. It's quicksand. But if I live my life through Christ who does not change, who's always the same, there's great strength there. There's great joy there. This is why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. I want to give you some very practical ways here that you can put this into practice. So here they are. Number one, walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. He goes on to catalog some of those sins that are characteristic of the flesh. And there's a direct correlation between many of those sins and depression. In fact, if you even read throughout the Psalms, you'll see after even David had committed that horrible sin with Bathsheba and killed, had Uriah killed, David in his own words, how he writes, and you see the depression coming out as he is writing. And that's why it's so important that we are to be walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Paul then goes on later on in Galatians that he lists the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he says the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in Galatians 5, through 23. And so to walk by the Spirit means to live moment by moment submission to the indwelling Holy Spirit saying no to self and yes to the Lord. The words walk and fruit really imply a process, not something that's instantaneous. If you go and buy a uh, fruit tree and you plant it, I guarantee you're probably not going to have fruit the very first season. It takes a little time. And so you have, there's a process of walking in the Spirit. And when we're walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will come naturally. And so it's not something that's instantaneous. You have, if you have spent your life walking the flesh, it may take some time for you to experience steady joy in the Lord. It means to trust in the sufficiency and the power of the Spirit because you distrust your own ability as what Proverbs 3, 5 teaches us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. You see, as we learn to walk by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, including joy, will grow in our lives. And this is an act of obedience. We have to choose to rejoice. We have to choose to walk in the Spirit. Secondly, learn how to have a biblical mindset about your trials and difficulties. Paul was going through some pretty intense trials and could have easily become very depressed. Instead, he had abundant joy because he viewed his trials in light of God's word. Do you remember the time that John the Baptist, here he is, <clears throat> preaching out in the wilderness? Jesus comes, 
And John says, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. He baptizes Jesus. Many of John's disciples then begin to follow Jesus. We learn and read later on that John is cast into prison because basically he told uh, Herod that he could not have uh, this other person's wife, okay? And he was, he was pretty upset about that. So here he is, he's in prison. And John begins to doubt. John begins to doubt, and I'm sure that probably some depression began to set in his life. And John sends word to Jesus through some of his disciples. And he says, ask him, are you really the Christ? Are you really the Christ or should we seek after another? You know what Jesus did? Jesus didn't get on a horse or a donkey and go ride immediately to go see John. He didn't go and send smoke signals to him. He didn't even send a letter. He told his disciples, you tell John what? The blind see, the dead are raised, the gospel is being preached. He reminded him of exactly what the word of God said. And that's all that John needed. And many times in our life through difficulties and trials, we have our eyes fixed so much on everything else that's going around when our eyes need to be fixed upon the word of God. Paul here had lots of trials and difficulties. He talked about them here through Philippians. But he always kept his eyes on Christ. You see, many Christians get depressed because they do not understand God's purpose in trials or they do not mentally deal with their trials in the light of God's word. Often it can start with a simple disappointment Something you hoped would happen and didn't happen. Someone you were counting on lets you down. A situation you were hoping and praying for did not come about. If you don't consciously yield your disappointment to the Lord and thank him by faith, trusting in his sovereign love, you can slip into depression. And I have often found that Satan often comes to you in a moment of disappointment and tempts you to doubt God's loving care. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 11, to humble ourselves under God's mighty hands and to resist the devil. And by doing so, he says this in verse 10, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So we need to have a biblical mindset of what God is doing in light of our trials and difficulties. Number three, soak yourself daily in who God is and the promises we have in Christ. You see, this joy that we have is in the Lord and we are in Christ. That's where we find our joy from. Remind yourself often about the cross of Christ and all the riches that are through us through his death. Think on the fact that you are risen with him, 
seated in the heavenlies with every spiritual blessing in Christ is what Ephesians 1.3 teaches, Colossians 3.1-4 teaches. Revel in his abundant grace that is greater than all of our sins. Marvel at his sovereign grace that chose you before the foundation of the world in him that predestined you to his adoption as his son or daughter as what Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 teaches. And that is what Jude 24 teaches us. will keep you from stumbling and will make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. We need to soak our minds in the word of God of who he is and what he has done. Number four, live by faith, not by your feelings. There's a lot of talk today about feelings. Everybody has feelings today. Their feelings get hurt. You damaged my feelings. You hurt my feelings. The Christian life is a walk of faith, not of feelings. We're to be trusting in things not seen, not getting in touch with our feelings. Peter wrote to Christians going through intense trials in 1 Peter 1.8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Paul wrote in Romans 15.13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't let your feelings dictate what God's word already says. And this is so dangerous. This is so dangerous. Sometimes people say things like, well, I have a feeling that I should do this. But yet God's word clearly forbids you to do that. Or God's word clearly tells you how something is to be done. You don't go by your feelings. You go by the word of God. We should never elevate our feelings above the word of God. God's word is the source and the foundation of all truth. And we can trust in it. We can rely upon it. And when we trust it, even if we don't feel like it, God's word is going to accomplish what it says it's going to do. And so do not go by feelings. I often tell people uh, when I'm counseling with people, talking with them about certain situations that are going on in their life, and I tell them, I say, well, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And sometimes they say, but I don't feel like I should X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Well, God never says that. God says you are to obey, rejoice. You say, but I don't feel like rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a choice. We have to obey what God's word says. Hudson Taylor, the great pioneer missionary to China, lost his beloved wife, Maria, after 12 years of marriage. They had been delighted with each other's love. Shortly after her death, he wrote to his mother in England, and he says this, From my inmost soul, I delight in the knowledge that God does or deliberately permits all things and causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. He and he only knew what my dear wife was to me. He knew how the light of my eyes and the joy of my heart were in her. 
But he saw that it was good to take her, good indeed for her, and in his love he took her painlessly, and not less good for me who must henceforth toil and suffer alone, yet not alone. For God is nearer to me than ever. And now I have to tell him all my sorrows and difficulties, as I used to tell dear Maria. And she cannot join me in intercession to rest in the knowledge of Jesus' intercession, to walk a little less by feeling, a little less by sight, a little more by faith. We have to choose to rejoice regardless of our circumstances. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church.